Wow, y'all sound wonderful this morning. It is a um, a privilege in my life each and every week to be here and to um, study and worship with all of you. And the praise time, the worship time fills me up. Thank you for coming in. I know it's hard to get away from your small groups and get in here, but thank you for coming in and worshiping together. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and I'm excited to be back up here with you again. Our topic this morning is relationships. And as women, there are few things in our life that are more rewarding and more challenging. I think you would agree with me. A few years ago, there was um, a friend of mine that asked me to pray for her young daughter. She was five years old. She had just started kindergarten. And she came home one day upset and distraught and discouraged because the other little five-year-old girls in her class had started clubs. And it was through these clubs, whether you were invited to be in them or not, that you were a friend or not. And that was a real eye-opener for me because what it said to me is our struggle with relationships as women starts as early as five years old when we go to kindergarten, doesn't it? We, uh, we start early and it lasts for most of our life, the joy and the pain that we have with our relationships. Now, for all of us here today as grown women, our relationships are even more complicated than even the five-year-old club dilemma because our relationships come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Uh, Think about it. Uh, We're daughters. We're neighbors. We're co-workers. We're employees. We're wives. We're sisters. We're mothers. We're grandmothers. And to some people in the world, we're probably even enemies. We have so many different relationships in our lives, ladies, because it's what God created us for. In fact, relationships are God's idea. We didn't think this up on our own. From the opening pages of Genesis, it's clear that God does not intend for us to live in isolation from each other or from him. In fact, it's on the opening pages of Genesis that we see God in relationship with Adam and Eve. When Vanita was up here a few weeks ago and we talked about our speech and our words and how we communicate, she talked about that uh, from the very uh, beginning of creation, you see God uh, communicating with Adam and Eve in a relationship. And even after sin enters the world through Adam and Eve on those opening pages of Genesis, and it separates us from our relationship that we have with a holy God, God does not give up on having a relationship with us, does he? Um, Through the sin sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, he desires to redeem each one of us for the purpose of continuing to have a relationship with us. We also see in the opening pages of Genesis that God desires for us to be in relationship um, with others. In Genesis 2, which is on your verse sheet, if you've got a verse sheet and an outline, grab your verse sheet out and open your Bible because we're going uh, to be kind of all over Proverbs today. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
God declares that relationships are part of his plan. And if we turn to Genesis 4, which we don't have time to do this morning, if we were to turn over to Genesis 4, we would see that God creates family relationships when Adam and Eve become mom and dad to Cain and Abel. So here we have mom and dad and we have brothers who are siblings. Relationships really are God's idea. But how we choose to live out our relationship, both with God and others, is about us. How we live out our relationship is our choice. We've been talking this whole series in Proverbs about the choices that we have, whether we choose to take the path of wisdom or whether we choose the path of folly. And we have that choice, don't we, in every area of our life. Really, that's what we've been talking about. We have that choice with our money, with our speech, with our emotions, with our morality. And today we're going to see that we have that same choice to live wisely or to live foolishly in our relationships. And as I studied relationships in Proverbs, it was interesting because I really found five principles that will help us choose wisdom in our relationship. And truly, ladies, that's what we want to do. We want to walk that path of wisdom in all of our relationships. So we're going to look at them together this morning. And the first principle of wise relationships uh, that I discovered is one that we've already been talking about, and that is that wise relationships begin with God. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, and let's look at verse 7 together. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now flip over a couple of pages to chapter 9. And look at verse 10 of chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. These are key verses in the book of Proverbs. And what they say to us is that wisdom and knowledge for all things in our life really does flow out of our relationship with God. If we fear him, which means to revere him, to trust him, to worship him, to obey him, to serve him, if we fear him and know him, then we gain knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we need to have to have wise relationships with other people in our lives. According to Proverbs, if you read through the whole book of Proverbs, you come away with this great thought that God should be the most influential and important relationship in our lives. And it follows that if we're going to make wise choices in our relationships, that they're going to be the fruit that grows out of our relationship with God. Our wise relationships really are the fruit that grow out of our fear of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus also affirms for us that God is our most important relationship above all others. On your verse sheet, Matthew 22:36 says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, last week Amy was here. She talked with us about emotions. And she told us that emotions are a little bit like that red warning light on the dashboard of our car. That when it goes off, it means you need to pull over and check the engine and see what's going on. She said emotions are the warning light in our lives to stop and check what's going on in our heart. 
You know, if we're having difficulty in any of our relationships, that should also be a lot like that red warning light on your dashboard. When we're having difficulty in our relationships, we should stop and check what our relationship with God is about because wise relationships begin with God. If our relationships are troubled in any way, the first place we need to go is back to our relationship with God. What we need to do is we need to stop and think, wait a minute, is God still first in my life? Am I still seeking to fear him because that's going to lead me into wisdom and knowledge and understanding before we move forward to deal with our relationship difficulties. You know, I'm the first person that wants to just jump in there and solve problems, particularly when they're in relationships. That's not what I should do first. What I should do first is sit before God and examine my relationship with Him and then take His wisdom and understanding into my relationship difficulties. Proverbs 19.23 on your verse sheet says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by troubles. Our relationships are more likely to be untouched by trouble when our relationship with God is exactly where it needs to be. Now, those of you that were here during our very first week of the Bible study, on that opening day, we showed a video. And it was about small group relationships. And there was a character in that video that had a big name tag on. Uh, she was hard to miss because she dominated the whole group time. And her the name that we had given her was Mimi All the Time. Um, and I loved it. Mimi All the Time. And I was actually reminded of Dear Mimi All the Time when I was working on this lesson because... Because Proverbs clearly teaches that wise relationships involve an intentional investment on our part. In other words, relationships take hard work, don't they? Relationships are time intensive. We have to stop and build into our relationships. And I have to say, sorry, Mimi, relationships are never just about us. As much as we want them to be, they're not. Solomon's wisdom is that it's not about what we get in relationships. It's about what we give. Wise relationships are not self-focused. The question we should always ask ourselves if we want to be wise in our relationship is not who's investing in us, who's building in us. The question we need to ask is who are we investing in? Who are we building into? We're going to begin our look at intentionally investing in others with parents because Proverbs has much to say about the parent-child relationship. And let me tell you, if you're here today and you're not a parent now um, and you're not sure you're going to be a parent in the future, hang in there with me because even though you're not a parent, you are someone's child. So you're part of that parent-child relationship in some form or fashion. And you know, even if you don't have biological children and you may not have children in the future, chances are you may be a spiritual parent to someone. Sally Klingman, that works on the women's staff with me, um, has never had children of her own, but I've never known someone that invested in other lives more intentionally with Sally. She has spiritual children. She has spiritual grandchildren. She uses these principles all the time to invest in those kind of relationships. So let's look at parents and see the investment that they're required to make in the lives of their children. And it's through two main avenues in Proverbs. It's through instruction and it's through discipline. So turn over a couple of pages in Proverbs with me to chapter 4 in the book of Proverbs. 
And let's read chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. Now drop your eyes down to verse 10 of chapter 4, where it says, Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Now, actually, if we had time and we went through the entire uh, chapter 4 of Proverbs, we would see that the entire chapter is actually Solomon investing in the life of one of his sons through instruction. Chapter 5 actually begins the same way, and chapter 6 is much of the same thing. It's a parent with intentional investment in the life of their child. Proverbs 22.6 shares with us the outcome of that intentional investment that any parent makes in the life of a child. Look on your verse sheet with me. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, this verse is a great reminder to me that children are a lot like a retirement account. Year in and year out, you know, in that retirement account, you sacrifice to put away a little bit to invest in that retirement account, hoping that eventually it's going to pay off. You know, and wise parents invest in their children much the same way. Day in and day out, year in and year out, you invest in those uh, children. And eventually, according to Proverbs 22.6, it's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. Proverbs is also clear that loving discipline is a way that parents should build into the lives of their children, should invest in their relationship. You know, and Proverbs does have some very pointed verses about uh, discipline. It talks a lot about the rod and um, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. Uh, Great verses in here. But when we read those verses on discipline, what we have to remember is that this investment that we make in our children's lives through discipline is always about love, always about love. That needs to be the motive of our heart. When we discipline our children, it's not about punishment. In fact, Proverbs shares that that's really the basis of our relationship with God. When he uses discipline in our life, is that it's a labor of love on God's part in our life. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 on your verse sheet says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in love is the reason that we do the hard work of discipline in the lives of our children and my hats are off to all of you who are young mothers out there today it wears you out doesn't it loving your children through discipline all day long from the second they get up to the moment they go to bed it's not something that you ever get a break from but you know we don't take a break from loving the people around us do we and we don't get a break from discipline proverbs 13:24 is just about proverbs 3 on your verse sheet and it says He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. You know, it was probably 30 years ago that I had a relationship with a friend of mine um, who's actually gone on to be with Jesus now. But she was a great friend, and she had um, 
a child that was the same age as my children. And we had a business together back then, and we actually spent a lot of time together. But there came a day when I thought, whoa, I am going to have to spend, stop spending time with she and her sweet child because she had decided to completely ignore disciplining her child. And so what that meant was no matter where we went, no matter what we were doing, um, her child ran wild. And it was not only a nuisance and a really bad example for my kids, but it was dangerous. She ran into the street. She ran into the parking lot. She disappeared in malls. And at first, I thought, you know, my friend is clueless. She was a little older when she had this child, and she hasn't, um, you know, had a lot of experience around kids. And so one day, I had a conversation with her, and this is what she told me. She told me, essentially, that she just didn't want to do it. It was hard. That wasn't why she signed up to be a parent. It wasn't for hard. She signed up to be a parent because she wanted it to be enjoyable and fun. And this wasn't fun, so I am not doing it. And her great hope was that someday this child would just turn out okay. Because um, just because I think because she'd fed her and clothed her and not uh, disciplined her. Um, You know, the only thing that my friend was right about is that disciplining our children is oftentimes not fun. It is just hard work, but that's not why we're doing it, is it? We are doing it because it's an investment in our children's lives. It's an investment in our relationship with them. It's for their future. It's never about our fun or entertainment. Proverbs 29:17 on your verse sheet says, "Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire." It's through discipline that we begin to have fun and enjoy our children, isn't it? Now, one of the most interesting things that I discovered in Proverbs as I uh, studied relationships is that children also have an opportunity to build into the relationship that they have with their parents, to invest in that relationship. In other words, the parent-child relationship investment is not just one-sided. It's uh, two sides to the same coin. It goes both ways. Proverbs 13.1 on your sheet says, a wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. And 15.5 says, a fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. You know, all of us in the room today may not be parents, but as I said earlier, we are all someone's children, and we can all probably testify that even growing up or even today as adult children, our relationships with our parents are more encouraging and they're deeper and they're more satisfying, more rewarding when we make wise choices in our life, doesn't it? Um, By listening to our parents' wisdom and even heeding their correction, no matter how old we are, uh, is a way of investing in the relationship we have with our parents at all stages of our life. You know, parents are probably going to love us even when we make bad choices in our life. I love my kids when they make bad choices. My parents loved me when I made bad choices. But my relationship grows and becomes stronger and better when I heed wisdom, advice, and correction. And the same thing is true with all of us as kids. You know, my um, my dad is 86, and I have lived long enough to be a grandmother several times over myself, but he still feels like it's his responsibility to give me wisdom and correction 
every now and then. And when I'm wise enough to take it, it does nothing but strengthen our relationship. It brings us closer. A third relationship that takes intentional investment, according to Proverbs, is the marriage relationships. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about sexual immorality. And when we did, we flipped over to Proverbs chapter 5 and read a little bit there, where Solomon gives his son marriage advice. And we're going to go back there today and read again. So turn to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. And this is what Solomon says to his son. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Throughout the year, I have the opportunity to talk with more than one um, gal who's distressed in her marriage. And most of the time, by the time they end up in my office, there's a common theme that always begins when we have these uh, conversations. It seems like regardless of whatever the underlying issue is that's going on in their marriage relationship, because of today's culture, because of the world that we live in, The word divorce has already come up. It's been used as a weapon and a threat and a possible escape route. The first conversation that we always have in my office is about the intentional investment of commitment in their marriage covenant as the way to begin to heal whatever is going on in their lives. And Solomon is actually having that same conversation right here with his son when he says, you should be committed to the wife of your youth. There's no looking around, no sharing with strangers, no looking over at that well across the street saying, I think that water over there looks a little bit better than what I'm getting at my house. Commitment to your marriage covenant, ladies, is actually the best investment that you can ever make in the relationship that you have with your spouse. Husbands and wives that are committed to their marriage covenant invest in their relationship truly by taking the word divorce out of their vocabulary and out of their hearts. It's not even a thought because you're committed forever by your covenant before God. Commitment not only saves marriages, but it grows marriages. The next relationship that we see that benefits from intentional investment is with our friends. And I read a quote that said, friendship is like money, easier made than kept. And that's true, isn't it? Friendships that last for the long haul are usually the, the result of a lot of long uh, of hard work and good effort on our part. Look on your verse sheet at Proverbs 18:24 and it says, "A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." And Proverbs 27.6, I'm sorry, says, "Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses." And 27.9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friends springs from his earnest counsel. You know what all these verses about friendships say to me uh, is that having true and lasting friendships happen when we give our time, when we give our attention, 
when we give our wise counsel. And not just in the best of times. You know, it's really easy to be with our friends when they're fine and they're having a, their life is easy. But what Solomon is talking about here is having these relationships, true friendships, when times are hard. Even when our friends are not particularly lovable, friends stick close. When we're on the wrong track, it's true friends, isn't it, that tell us the truth. Our acquaintances will simply agree with us most of the time, won't they? But our true friends will stop and say, whoa, I'm not sure that's really what's going on here. True friends take the time to sit down with us. Even in the midst of their busy lives, they clear their schedule and they invest in us with their time. True friends will give us truth and insight when we ask them hard questions. Time, attention, and counsel for the long haul. That's what true friendship is about. And that's how we invest in others so that they become our true friends. Now, the third principle that I discovered when I looked at Proverbs and was learning about relationships is that wise relationships don't just happen. We don't just gather them up along the way, pick them up in the supermarket when we're out shopping. You know, there's lots of people out there that we can have in our lives, isn't there? We're in contact with so many people all day, every day. But choosing who to have relationships with and what those relationships look like takes two things. It takes discipline and discernment. And that's what we see throughout Proverbs is that wise relationships take discipline and discernment. And Solomon talks a lot about relationships uh, with a particular group in, in Proverbs. He talks about relationships with the community around us. He calls them our neighbors. So let's look there first. Proverbs eleven twelve. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. And Proverbs 27:17 says, Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and he will hate you. Now, I would venture to say that most of us, the people that uh, surround us in the community, our neighbors, perhaps even our co-workers, most of the people that surround us may not be believers. They may not know Christ. And our relationship with them, who, how we relate to them in the community as neighbors or co-workers, uh, is either going to draw them to Christ because of what they see in us, or it's going to push them away because of what they see and experience at our hand. A wise relationship with our neighbors in the community is one where we use discipline and discernment in two areas, with our words and with our actions. That's what these Proverbs were talking about, our words and our actions that need discipline and discernment. I had an unfortunate experience at an airline counter recently when I was trying to fly. And I have to confess, I wanted to say and do so much more than I did. And I probably said even more than I should have and did more than I should have. But I stopped and drug myself away from that um, uh, counter. Because guess what I had in my carry-on bag? This lesson. I had been working on this lesson. I was going to work on it on the airplane. And I thought, Stop. You need discipline and discernment. You need to step back from the counter here. And so I was able to, um, like I said, I probably said more than I should have. But Proverbs makes it clear that there's really no sense in us slandering 
a person in our community. It doesn't make any sense for us to make a nuisance of ourselves in any way if our goal truly is to have a wise relationship in the community and with the neighbors around us so that they see Jesus and want to know more about him. Now, with the holidays coming up, it is a great time to be talking about family relationships. It may not be a fun time, but it is a great time to be talking about family relationships because what I've seen uh, in working with women over the past 20 years is it seems as if the holidays bring out our deepest desire to be with our families. And it also brings out our deepest dread of being with our families as well. It's pretty interesting. Having a wise relationship with our family members always means a measure of discipline and discernment in our life. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon tells us there are six things that God hates. There are seven things that he finds detestable. So flip on to chapter 6 and let's read verse 16 right there. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And at the end of this very horrible list is a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Um, And look at your verse sheet real quickly with me at Proverbs 11... 29, it's down at the very bottom of that first page. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. And then Proverbs 18:19, it's probably on the back. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gate of a citadel. Parents and siblings and in-laws can be the most difficult relationships that we all have in our lives. And it seems particularly true for believers because not our families are not always believers, are they? Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that we have so many difficulties in our family relations. One of them is that we have expectations. Unmet expectations cause difficulties with our family. There may be dysfunction in our family that we haven't addressed. And every time we go back to be with our family, everybody goes right back to being a player in that dysfunction. But some of it, ladies, simply has to do with discipline and discernment on our part. It always cracks me up because we say things to our family that we would never say to our friends. I mean, we just lay it right out there, things that we would never do at Starbucks with a friend. Um, We're not as merciful or as compassionate generally with our family members as we are with our friends. We rush to help our friends out and to bring them food and uh, do those kind of things, but we don't always rush to do that with our family members. So my encouragement to myself and to each one of us is before the holidays with this insight from Solomon that God is an unhappy with us when we stir up dissension in our family is that all of us need to really stop and pray through our relationships with our family before the holidays to take stock of our words and our actions and our expectations. And then we need to apply a liberal dose of discernment and discipline to all of them. Because when we do that, we truly honor God with wise relationships in our family. 
Now, we've already talked about spouses a little bit when we talked about investing in uh, our relationship between husband and wife. But we also see that spouses not only have to participate in investing in that relationship, they also need a measure of discipline and discernment. There are five different verses in Proverbs, they were in your homework, that give uh, Solomon's perspective on what it's like to live with a quarrelsome, ill-tempered wife. We're going to read a couple of them right now um, just to remind ourselves. Proverbs 21:19 says, "Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome, ill-tempered wife." And Proverbs 27:15 says, "A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand." I'd really like to blame this on hormones. I really. <laughs> I really would like to blame this on hormones. Um, But we all know that even when we feel quarrelsome because of hormones or because of circumstances or because of fatigue, whatever it is that's making us feel quarrelsome, it never gives us license to act on those quarrelsome feelings, does it? Or to speak out of our ill temper. One of my favorite quotes is from missionary Amy Carmichael, and she says, A cup of sweet water, when bumped, spills only sweet water. And it takes discipline and discernment in our lives as women, with our spouses, to really figure out when our cup is filled with something other than sweet water. And then it takes discipline on our part to go to the Lord and to figure out how we empty that cup uh, that's not filled with sweet water and fill it up from the Lord himself. It takes discipline and discernment to change our hearts so that our spouses and all the people around us don't begin to look for a corner of the roof to live on. Solomon gives us insight um, also in Proverbs is how discipline and discernment affects our friendships. Look at Proverbs 22:24 with me. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Proverbs 20:20 20, 20 says, "He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm." And then 12:26 says, "A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray." Uh, When my boys were growing up, I began early having them memorize the same verse over and over again. And I said it to them a million times, and they said it to me. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and it says, Bad company corrupts good character. And that was kind of my mantra with them. Because our friend choices, ladies, are not just about who our friends are, who their character is, but our friend's choice is about who they lead us to become because we eventually become to look like who our friends are. And Proverbs tells us over and over again that our friends are going to lead us astray. And this isn't just for teenage boys. Um, All of us here in this room, no matter what age we are, can have friends that lead us down the wrong path, lead us down the path of gossip, lead us down the path of coveting, lead us down the path of anger, Um, no matter how old we are. Many years ago, I had the, and it's been, oh gosh, maybe almost 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to take just a short weekend girl trip with some gals from Christ Chapel. Um, It was a great trip. We laughed a lot. I got to know. We all deepened our relationships together. But one of the most interesting things about this trip was it was a little different from some of the other girl trips I'd taken. Uh, 
because these women were such an example to me. Their wisdom filled me up over and over again. And it wasn't because they weren't fun. They were great fun. But you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to talk about the scriptures. They said, whoa, I didn't really get that lesson we had last week in Bible, in Bible study. What did you think that meant in Hebrews when it said blah, blah? Have a great discussion. In the car, it was a long car trip. One of them said she knew every hymn her grandmother had ever sung to her. And she began to sing all these hymns. And me, who wasn't raised in a church, thought, whoa, how do you learn all those hymns? And then one night um, after dinner, we really rocked it out and played a great game of Bible trivia. And... um, You know who whipped us all? Deb Haygood whipped us all. I mean, she just uh, really... And I came home not thinking boring. I came home thinking, I have never been more filled up than being with these wise women of God. And they made me want to be a better woman every single day. It was a great principle for me. Friendships are relationships that have to be chosen carefully because it's who we turn out to be. Whoever our friends are is who we are going to turn out to be. Now, there's a fourth principle that Proverbs gives us when it comes to relationships, and that is there are going to be relationships in our lives that are not um, maybe uh, filled with the fun I was just talking about. They're going to need be relationships that need grace and mercy Solomon gives us relation, examples of relationships with people in our lives who are going to need grace, unmerited favor, who are going to need mercy, which is compassion and forgiveness. And one of those relationships is with the poor and the needy. Look at Proverbs 14:20 on your verse sheet. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. He who despises his neighbor's sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. You know, it is so easy to be attracted to the privileged around us, isn't it? Those people that are wealthy, that are beautiful, that are powerful. And it's just as easy to overlook the poor and the needy. Jesus, who's our living, breathing example of Proverbs, he lived out every one of these in his life, extended grace and mercy to the poor and the sick and the needy and the outcast constantly. And just before he went to the cross... This is what he said to his disciples about the value of having relationships with the poor and needy. Look at Matthew 25 on your verse sheet. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, if Jesus walked through those doors today and came into the sanctuary, there's not a one of us that wouldn't be willing to feed him or clothe him and just clamor at the privilege of caring for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is we have that same opportunity in our midst every single day. That is who the poor and needy are. And wise relationships mean that we are going to extend grace and mercy to our Lord Jesus through the poor and needy every single day. Now, Proverbs also reminds us that it's not just going to be the poor and needy that need grace and mercy in relationships. Sometimes 
It's going to be those closest to us. It's going to be our friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. You know, throughout Proverbs, Solomon doesn't encourage us to simply love our friends when they're lovable. He, loves, he encourages us to love them always. And that's a hard thing, to love our friends always. True friends are faithful in times of adversity as well as in those fun girl trip times. Uh, and being a, a friend during adversity means giving grace, unmerited favor. It means giving mercy, which is compassion and forgiveness. A true friend extends grace and mercy and love at all times in a relationship. You know, there's probably someone in your life, I know there's someone in my life that has done that for you, that you weren't lovable and they loved you. They gave you that grace and mercy. And our encouragement from Solomon is we need to be willing to be that person. And there's one more relationship that Solomon spoke about that needs our grace and mercy. It's kind of surprising. It's a relationship with those who are our enemies. Look at Proverbs 25 on your verse sheet. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Wise relationships means extending grace and mercy to our enemies, and the result of that is going to be rewards um, on God's behalf. We're going to have God's favor. Someone, um, a man shared a story with me recently about a time he'd had in Afghanistan and his responsibility had been to pick up some Taliban prisoners in the mountains and it was uh, very snowy and very cold. And these men he were picking up, these Taliban prisoners, were not men of character. They had committed many atrocities that um, uh, uh, the Americans that were picking them up knew about. But he shared with me how sad it made him when they brought these prisoners out to him because these men had no coats and no shoes, and it was pretty cold. And he said, as terrible as these men were, what I really wanted to do, the first thing was give them coats and shoes. And that is what God's grace and mercy says to us, to extend to our enemies. That's what it looks like. Even to the worst of these, we want to be able to provide for them. Now, the final principle I learned from studying Solomon's wisdom as we finish up today is that wise relationships bring blessings into our life and foolish relationships have consequences. Now, that seems pretty simple to us, but it's something that we live out over and over and over again. We oftentimes disregard the fact that we're going to have blessings when we choose wisely and consequences when we don't. Look at Proverbs 23 24 on your verse sheet says, The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. And 17.6 just above it says, Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Proverbs teaches us, truly, that wise relationships bring us the blessings of joy, delight, pride, peace, even honor. But unfortunately, we also learn from Proverbs that um, our bad choices have bad consequences. Look at a couple of Proverbs with me as we finish up. Proverbs 20.20 says, If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. And 21.13, If a man shuts his eyes to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered 
poor choices in our uh, relationships are not something we can ignore because the consequences are not going to let us. We can deny that, but it honestly, it's true. You know, throughout Proverbs, we see that wise relationships are a choice. It's something we get to choose. And one way we can begin making good choices in our relationships, wise choices in our relationships is something that I've been called to do in my life over the past few weeks as I've studied this, something I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to sit down this week and pray about and take an inventory of all the relationships that you have in your life. Think through them prayerfully and then ask yourself after you put down all your relationships, are there some of these relationships that I need to be intentionally investing in. Maybe I've just been coasting along in my marriage, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm busy and my husband loves me. Maybe it's your marriage relationship. Maybe it's the relationship with your children. Or maybe it's with your friends. You think, you know, I'm not really good at calling them back. I'm not really good at being there for me. Think through the relationships that you need to intentionally invest in. Um, You also need to ask yourself, are there relationships in your life that you need more discernment and discipline about? Uh, My experience with God is when I ask him to show me, is there something that I need to be more disciplined and discerning about? He shows me every time. He pricks my conscience, brings it right to my mind. So I uh, can pretty much guarantee if you'll say, Lord... These are my relationships. Show me where I need more discernment and discipline. God is going to be happy to to show you. Ask yourself about friends that may not be the best influence in your life or about attitudes on your part that need to be adjusted to improve a relationship. And don't forget to take a look at those relationships that need grace and mercy. Is there someone hard in your life right now and we all have them? Maybe you've been avoiding them. Perhaps they need unmerited favor perhaps they need compassion and it may even be simply forgiveness that they need clearly wise relationships always mean you're going to apply grace and mercy liberally and often and the final thing i'd ask all of us to do is to take an inventory of our relationship with god is he first Is he first? Is he most important? Are you growing wiser because you are learning to fear him? You are growing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. If we really want to wise up in all of our relationships, ladies, we must remember that it always starts with God. Pray with me. Father, it's true. You are our first and our most important relationship. I just pray that you would give us all wisdom here today, that you would let us look at our relationships and tell ourselves the truth, and then you would give us answers as how we can invest in relationships, how we can heal relationships with grace and mercy, how we can have better discernment and discipline. Thank you, Lord God, that we don't do relationships alone. We do it Um, through you, in you, and with you. And Father, I thank you for these women. Would you put your hand of favor and grace and mercy on them this week and bless all of their relationships. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, ladies.